We're going to focus in this session on the last part of verse 17, starting here, because we've already looked at, in two sessions, at that section from verse 17. So we're going to start right here and then look at the rest of 17 and 18. And the question I want to ask is, um, why does the author use rhetorical questions? And what do, you, what do you do with rhetorical questions? What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? What will become of the ungodly and sinner? He doesn't give answers to those. That's why we call them rhetorical questions. He expects us to be able to give the answer. So that's what we're going to focus on and then ask how all of that helps the argument here help us suffer as Christians to the glory of God. So, Father, again, the issue, as so often, is your glory, and we want so much to understand the outcome of unbelief and the function of of such warnings that we would not run from them as though they were bad for us or threatening to us in some kind of destructive way, but only good for us. So come and show us your fatherly wisdom in how you help us glorify you in our suffering. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God by that name, because all of this is ground, support for this suffering to the glory of God. Four, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? So I broke out the lines or the propositions like this so that we can see the first question here. Oops here, and the second question here. So, if it, namely this judgment, which is beginning with the household of God, if it begins with us, and then he asks this question, what will be the outcome of those who who do not obey the gospel? Now, he doesn't answer it, so we have to supply the answer, and the best way to see whether we can supply the answer is to turn the rhetorical question into a statement. Because if you know the answer, then you know what he's asserting. And we should always do that with rhetorical questions. So, um, what would be the statement? What will be the outcome of those? The outcome will be... He doesn't say, but what does he expect us to supply? Something like, terrible right? I mean, that that's, without any other context, that's just about as far as you could go. So if, if we undergo this suffering here as part of this judgment here, and it's as bad as it is, then what will be the outcome of those who don't obey the gospel? Terrible. All right, let's go to the next one. And if the righteous, so the righteous is the reference to to us, 
And to those who do obey, this would be the opposite of these, do obey, not don't obey, but do obey. So the righteous are those who do obey the gospel. If they're scarcely saved, I don't think that, mean, I don't think that means it's hard for God to save us. Like, oh, I just was barely able to do it with the infinite value of the blood of Jesus. That's not the point. The point is, Christians often have to experience so much suffering that it's as though they are plucked from the brand at the end of their life because they've gone through a whole life of suffering. It's not as though they got snatched into heaven on earth and, and, and they lived 80 years of ease, but rather they suffered this kind of judgment and then God delivers them in and through it. So it's as though they're scarcely saved. If that's the case, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? These, these words, by the way, righteous, ungodly, sinner, are owing to the fact, you can see these quote marks here, that this is a quote from Proverbs 11:31. But I'm not going to say anything about that now because I want to do a whole lab on these verses because there's Old Testament allusions here and there's Old Testament quotations here and that has significance and we'll do that in another lab. But how do you how do you rephrase this question? What will become of the ungodly and sinner? Well, here we're helped because we're scarcely saved, so they are they will not be saved. Isn't that the implication? If the righteous are scarcely saved, then the ungodly and sinner will not be saved. Now we can do a little confirming here, but if you, if you take this not obey the gospel and look for where else that occurs, you get this. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 this is how terrible. So if I if I wrote the word terrible, this is the terrible. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So there's that phrase, not obey the gospel. It's the only other place where it occurs just like that. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That's how terrible. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. So, let's try to sum up. What have we seen under this argument? This is an argument for how to help us glorify God in our suffering as a Christian and not be ashamed. And we already looked at how that is an argument for it. Now, how should we sum this up? We've seen what the rhetorical questions say, and here's the way I'm going to sum it up. First, warnings to believers are needed and useful. Don't think that warnings are only given to unbelievers in the Bible. Those verses are warnings to us, and we need them. Number two, pity is 
awakened for unbelievers because of how terrible it's going to be. What will be the outcome for unbelievers? What will become of the ungodly? And so we should care about 2.12 happening big time. We want people to see our good deeds and give glory to God. We don't want them to perish. And so the warning here is that it could happen to us if we were not believers, and it will happen to them if we don't do something to help them not be unbelievers. Three, God is not to be trifled with. Surely we are to be sobered by these warnings about how when someone does not, when someone stiff arms the good news that God offers and that he planned and designed and executed through Jesus, and when they stay ungodly and stay in their sin, they should realize they are acting the fool because to trifle with the living God in that way is absolutely insane and suicidal. Fourth, therefore, let your suffering, this is what I have in mind here, let your suffering as a Christian seem light and short compared to eternal suffering. In one sense, it may seem like we are scarcely saved, but oh, we are saved. And therefore, this suffering here, which is for purification, not condemnation, can be endured because we know that something much, much worse is being spared us and we are being fitted for everlasting glory. Therefore, let us hold fast to God as supremely precious and give him glory and not be ashamed of this name.